Josh. Long time no see. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, well, uh, a few things happened around our house. I don't know. No. Okay. I know things are just same old, same old for you and Sam, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Same as always. Same old Oklahoma. <laughs> just a little bit new scenery. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh. Well, anyway, the, uh, we found out the latest news, I guess, is that apparently losing teeth is a really big deal when you're six years old. Oh, really? Such a big deal that Oliver told Sky that he can't wait to be grown up so he doesn't have to worry about losing teeth anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I had that same thought just the other day. Man, I'm so glad I don't have to worry about losing teeth you know, anymore. I, I just want to so one day you will think back <laughs> and you're like, man, remember when the biggest drama in my life was whether this loose tooth would fall out or not? <laughs> <laughs> but uh we were eating dinner last night and uh especially during meal time like really worried about you know what's going to happen with the tooth and all that and uh so whenever oliver he prayed for the meal that night and while he's praying he says you know and God also helped my teeth to fall out and for there not to be any blood or anything because he really was worried about bleeding <laughs> when the tooth came out. And we're eating and like it was not hardly, it was like maybe one or two bites in the meal and the tooth just fell out. And it got exactly what he prayed for. And that's how loose the tooth was though. Like, it, like he just would not yeah. take it out even though it was pretty much like right there falling out. Um, but uh, during all this happening, like he's lost a few teeth already and I don't know why he still thinks it's a big deal, but whatever. But, you know, little brother, Augie, he wants to lose teeth because he wants to do anything big brother's doing. And he's like, well, Bub's yeah. losing teeth. So um, his teeth aren't ready to come out yet, obviously. <laughs> but he asked Oliver if Oliver would punch him in the mouth so it would knock his teeth out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so, so funny. He's pretty desperate to lose a tooth. And uh, so, yeah, exciting stuff around the Kerr house. Yeah. I wish that more of my teeth, teeth, I said teeth, uh, <laughs> teeth fell out um, as a child because when I was in high school, um, I had to get braces and well, that was actually a really cool story in itself, how I got braces, but I needed braces, ended up getting them in high school. And, um, in order to get the braces, they had to pull some teeth because I just had too many teeth. My, my teeth were that jacked up, but I ended up getting my four wisdom teeth pulled plus five other teeth. <laughs> so nine teeth all at once I had to take it out of my mouth. Wow. It was insane. Yeah, that's see, I can understand why that would be a little traumatic for you at that age to have to have that many teeth go. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, apparently for some six-year-olds, one baby tooth at a time is a, tra a traumatic experience. <laughs> yes, yes, I could see that. <laughs> so there is like a there's like a thunderstorm going on in my house right now. So um, I guess you might hear a little thunder, a little rain. And maybe I'll lose power. I guess we'll see. Okay. Sounds good. We'll find out. 
I think a little uh, extra ambient noise would not uh, would not be bad. I love listening to thunder. If and rain, people so. usually like to listen to us while they fall asleep at night, then that'll be the perfect addition <laughs> to the podcast. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I could totally believe, like, if Sam were here and she was like, oh, I totally do that, I would not even be surprised at all. <laughs> it just seems like something uh, she Sam, would do. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't even listen to it. So that's, Yeah, we have found that out, yeah, actually. She doesn't, she doesn't count. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Uh, so... What we're going to talk about today is hell. And uh, before we do that, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and tell you a little bit about our sponsor. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Stokeshed. Stokeshed is a music and audio production house. Bobby has over 10 years of experience in the music industry. His projects include Foundations Church Podcast, the upcoming debut album by The Fairweather, The God Project with Joe Moore of The Real Life Podcast, and this podcast, Don't Be Stupid. He is a fantastic guy to work with, uh, really awesome. And uh, if you head over to stokeshed.com to request a quote, you'll receive a 20% discount on podcast editing and production if you mention Don't Be Stupid. Be sure and do it. Stokeshed.com and uh, get a quote. So Sam just texted me and said, what am I not listening to? Question mark, question mark. Because uh, <laughs> we made the comment about her not listening to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and she can hear me in the other room. Whoopsie. Busted. Uh, See, that's I thought... That's the... Uh, yeah. Since she was gone, it's like, oh, now's our chance. We can talk about her. Nope. No. You can talk about her, but I can't. Oh, that's true. Yeah. She can't hear me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, but yes. So today we are talking about hell. Uh, which is a... What the hell did you say? <laughs> yes, hell is what I said. Oh, okay. I knew you were going to make that joke. I had to... I was I, just, it was, it's low-hanging fruit. For it. I just had to reach out there and grab it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those... <laughs> uh, that's your that's your best joke, is those low-hanging fruits. You just can't, I love just can't them. let them go. The dad jokes, man. Once you have kids, like it's just something sinks right into you. You can't help it. It becomes a part uh, of you. You just see them everywhere. Dad joke. There it is. Grab it. You can't help yourself. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hell. Yes. Uh, yes. So that's what we're talking about. So there are a few different views on hell um, that fit within the Christian worldview. And... In the past few years, the topic has actually come up quite a bit with some different books and things like that. One of them being probably the most famous is Love Wins, um, Rob Bell's book. Um, but after that, Francis Chan came out with a book. Um, there have been some books on annihilationism, which is a view on hell, uh, which we'll actually talk about quite a bit. And quite a few other things. There have been there's been lots of uh, scholarship done in the last few years on the subject um, because people are starting to become more interested in what the Bible actually says about hell. So do you want to tell us what the general views are on hell? Yeah, I can get, I can try to give a brief overview. You know how I usually do with brief, but I will do my yeah. best this time. I don't, I don't know why I, why I do this. I Doing know. the whole intro of the topic and then you give you the, the ball to... 
to give a summary that just doesn't uh, work. It, and it's never very summary-ish. Yeah, no. Uh, fair enough. But this time I'm going to prove you wrong. So okay. uh, there are essentially three views of hell, I would say, major views. Um, one is that hell just doesn't exist at all, that there just is no such thing as hell. Um, so I suppose that could be one view that... Yeah, whatever about hell. Um, Akin to that view, one could say, is annihilationism. And that is essentially the view that instead of existing uh, eternally conscious, that the soul is completely destroyed. So in a way, that is a form of, that is a form of eternal punishment because you are destroyed forever. Um, Body, soul, everything completely gone. Um, but obviously you don't can maintain consciousness, so you don't experience any sort of pain or anything like that. Um, some would say that is maybe sort of similar to the idea that hell doesn't exist at all, um, but um, there is some distinction there. And then the third view, and probably the more popular view among most Christians, is that hell is a place of punishment where you are consciously existing forever. So you constantly experience discomfort and pain to some degree. Um, there's been various views on kind of what that's like. Um, in, so like maybe a quick example, um, in C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, um, it's somewhat meant to sort of describe what eternity might kind of be like, but at the same time, like... Um, People should be cautioned. Don't take it too literally because C.S. Lewis wasn't necessarily trying to write something super literal. It was more of an allegory. But in the idea of that is there's these people existing in a place, some may call it hell, some may call it purgatory, whatever, where um, it's not like they're the idea like they're constantly burning or like real physical pain, but it's kind of almost like this doldrum type place where you can't really – there is no – there's nothing satisfactory at all. And – um, for people that choose to just kind of stay and dwell there, it does end up in many ways becoming a hell that kind of consumes them for all of eternity. And um, so that could be kind of like one view of what hell could maybe be like to a degree. Um, the other view would maybe be more extreme where it's like the idea of like fire and gnashing of teeth and wailing where like you're in constant pain all the time for all of eternity and really horrible. So, you know, there's, so that would kind of be this, that all kind of falls in the same category of eternal conscious torment. Um, Mm -hmm. But exactly what, how that torment plays out, you know, we get maybe some hints from scripture and things like that, but it's hard, you know, there can be, there's some varying degrees on that, but the three I'd say, and primarily two that are mostly debated was whether or not you're conscious the whole time or if it's just basically annihilationism where you're just annihilated, God, that's it forever. You don't continue to experience anything consciously, but you're consumed up in, I don't know, some sort of destruction, fire or whatever, gone, and that's it. And those are the two mostly debated in Christianity. And then a fringe view being, well, there's just no hell at all. Everybody ends up to some degree or another in heaven. And I guess maybe yeah. somewhere also in there is the idea that hell is temporary. I guess I didn't mention that. Um, yeah. And that's that. So that I guess that is kind of a popular view where you go to hell for a while and you kind of pay for what you did on earth. And so like if you're really bad on earth, you're in hell longer. And if you weren't so bad, you're only in hell for a short time and you experience some sort of conscious torment that goes on, punishment. But then eventually you end up in heaven. So ultimately everyone ends up in heaven eventually under that yeah. view. 
So, which, um, yeah, with Rob Bell, he never explicitly states what his view is in Love Wins. He just says a lot that this could be the case, and I think this would fit with the nature of God best, that kind of thing. But yeah. um, that's kind of his view: is that there is a hell of sorts, but the purpose of it is to purify people so that they can get to heaven. So it's like nobody in the long run is going to end up in hell. Everyone in the long run will end up in heaven because love will win. God's yeah. love changes people. So I um, haven't read, you've read that one. I have, I've skimmed parts of it and I've listened to talks from him on it and things okay. like that, but I've never actually read the whole thing. Well, that's I probably should I- at some point. Yeah. I mean, you're further than I've gone with it. I mean, I would, I, and probably some of the talks he's done have probably adds even more clarification than just reading the book. Yeah. But, um, I yeah. kind of got the impression others have gotten the impression as well that eventually everyone ends up in heaven from his view. And of course it's yeah. not just his view. Lots of people hold to that view. Yeah. Which it's really hard to nail him down because it's just his style to ask questions and raise ideas, but not actually, land on he's kind of squirmy <laughs> so uh, like you're not going to be able to find a quote yeah you're not going to find a quote in his book that says this is what i think about hell like this yeah. is the way the hell is it's just well what if it was this way type of thing yeah um, okay but you can so, tell that yeah so forget that i said that there are four or three major views let's say there's four and to recap them real <clears> quick one um there's no hell everyone goes to heaven because Jesus paid for it all on the cross. Everyone dies, they go to heaven. Um, view two, hell is temporary. You suffer for a little bit, but then eventually everyone ends up in heaven. View three, um, you get annihilated, so you are eternally punished for your sins, but it's just and done. You're out of it, and that's it. You're gone, and everyone else continues to exist eternally, but you don't. And then view four, you continue to exist eternally, consciously, not suffering for a short time, and then eventually getting into heaven, but suffering forever and ever. So, yes. do you think that's a good so, summary? Yeah, I think so. I should um, just said that right out of the gate then, huh? I still messed yeah, it up. You're, you're learning. <laughs> but it, that was better than before, right? This is a new yes. season, sort of. We took a break. I had a chance to collect myself. I'm coming back better than ever. <laughs> there we go. Uh, it was much better than some of your political ones. Yes. I like can't help myself. the Target one? Oh, I ramble and also feel like I got to trace every rabbit down just because I want to get everyone the whole picture. I, I overeducate. Yeah. I know. This is going to be better, though, people. You're just... You just care about the people too much. I'm just going to care. I know. I just, it comes from a place of love, Josh. You get it. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> well, so which, which, which view would you hold to? Which one of the four? Ah, uh, you know, I'm going to pull a Rob Bell here. You're going to be squirmy on me. Um, two views I disagree with would be that. I don't get I don't get from scripture I don't get the impression at all that hell is temporary. Yeah. And that you eventually end up in heaven. Um because the Bible seems to be pretty clear that some people will et- be eternally separated from God. So I I'm going to go ahead and cross that out. And that also along with that would include the other view that basically um you know 
do not pass go, go straight to heaven idea. That So I don't agree with either of those views. So I can say they're out. I think that hell is eternal. So um, that leaves the idea that either it's eternal and you are conscious about it the whole time or you are basically non-existent, so non-conscious. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I'm probably going to say I'm going to lean, and also because it will make for better conversation, I think, in our podcast, <laughs> toward uh, eternal conscious torment, that you okay. exist forever and you are aware of it and you do suffer in some manner or another. Like, it is just not going to be a pleasant experience, whether that's, like, extreme pain all the time or if that's more, like, maybe something kind of like what C.S. Lewis described in The Great Divorce. I don't know. Um, But, yeah, it will be eternally unpleasant. Okay. So you kind of hinted, more than hinted, uh, what my view is, (laughs) which is (laughs) the Annihilation view. Um, in recent years, uh, I have pretty much, pretty much come convinced, uh, become convinced of the annihilation view, um, for quite a few reasons, but, uh, I had never even considered it an option until an old Testament class that I had, um, in college. And in that class, it was just kind of a side note that one of my professor, uh, my professor was talking about the old Testament and its view on hell. And then he just went into the options and he said, he took a break for a second just to like, it was three minutes where he said, this is actually the view that I hold. And it's what I think is a legitimate view. And he took a like two, three minutes to explain his case for the annihilation view. And it just kind of opened my mind to like, Whoa, this may actually be an option. I wonder if it's true. And so then I started studying it more. And over the past few years, I have off and on come back to the topic, researched it here and there, and I'm pretty convinced. Um, one of the reasons is, and actually the main reason that I think annihilation, uh, the annihilationism view is true, is because of scripture. <laughs> I think that scripture very strongly points to the annihilation view. And one of the verses that you can look at to see that is John 3:16. So it says for God so loved the world that he gave his only uh, one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And what that verse is saying pretty clearly is that the options are either you perish, you are destroyed, you cease to exist or you have eternal life. I think those are the options when it comes to um eternity. Either you spend eternity with God or you spend eternity not having life. You cease to exist. And um, I think that makes the most sense with the character and nature of God. And I think it makes the most sense based on scripture and my view of, uh, I guess, what salvation is and how it works. So what do you think? Um, I'm sympathetic to that view for sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm sympathetic to the eternal conscious torment view. Like, I think that's what I held to for a vast majority of my life. And I think that is a legitimate view that a Christian can hold that is somewhat supported by scripture. There are at least a couple verses that almost plainly say that, but I think the majority of scripture points to annihilation. So I interrupted, go ahead and continue. No, that's fine. Um, 
do you remember we talked about like um, Calvinism and Arianism a little bit? You and mean Arminianism? It, <laughs> I said Arianism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you calling Arminians Arianism? Um, well, there may be some, but I'm not going to throw them all in that boat. That's not no. fair. Um, that's a that's totally a different view, by the way. <laughs> uh, I didn't actually mean to say that, but that's funny. Freudian um, slip? Maybe. Calvinism and Arminianism. And um, you said in there that you can definitely see scriptural merit for both, you know, and I feel like this question is somewhat the same way. Like you, you can make a scriptural case kind of both ways, and there's definitely some fair points on both sides. It's not like one group has to really stretch a little bit in the scripture to try to make the case, you know. Um, but in there, you, you, you made a comment that you feel like the overarching theme of scripture is that people have kind of their own choice. And um, would you say that's how you, uh, on the hell issue, that even though there may be some particular scriptures, so like just an example, a particular scripture people often come up for promoting eternal consciousness. Revelation 14. Drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. So um, I, that's only like a couple of verses there, but it seems to kind of, I mean, even if we read the whole context, you know, it kind of gives somewhat of an impression of no, it doesn't end like day yeah. and night, no rest, constant torment. So you, I could, that's one scripture, obviously. Now, now I know, like you mentioned a scripture, we could go back and forth scripture for scripture, just like Calvinists and Arminians. Yep. So I guess what I say, do you feel like the overarching theme of scripture is that it's a finality, an end, just like you would say you lean Arminian because you feel like the overarching theme of the scripture is that people really have a genuine choice? I think the, <clears throat> I'd say yes, that is one part of it. I think the overall, the overarching theme of scripture points to this. But also, I think that with annihilationism, the case is even more easy to make based on like individual scriptures than Arminianism even. Um, okay. I think that it's, fairly clear because um, you mentioned the verse in Revelation I have a hard time with Revelation um, and verses like that because they're very very difficult to interpret <laughs> because Revelation a lot of that is very allegorical but even if I say that that clearly says eternal conscious swimming even at that point, that is one of like two or three verses that seem to point to eternal, eternal conscious torment when there are hundreds that, well, I say hundreds, like a hundred, <laughs> that talk about the eternal destiny of unbelievers as something like destruction or perishing or something like that that gives the connotation of ceasing to exist rather than eternally existing consciously. Um, and so I think that 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 yes, the general overarching view of scripture does point to annihilationism, but I think the case is even easier to make <laughs> based on like individual scriptures for annihilationism than it is for Arminianism. Yeah. Um, okay. I, 
Yeah, I guess, and, and, and this is the thing where, and this is kind of where I get hung up a little bit, is that, and, and probably the, I don't know, maybe one strong, is that it seems like if you read through church history and a lot of the Christians throughout history, since Jesus to now, that have talked about hell, that the vast majority of it leans toward eternal conscious torment. Yes. And and so that's where, like you say, like, it seems like you look at specific scripture, stuff like that, the most obvious view is this, and yet most of church history disagrees with you on that. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm like, I don't want, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to come yeah. in and then be like, well, I know better than all these Christians that lived all that time. I can interpret it more. You know, that's where I'm like really careful about fully embracing annihilationism. Yes. And I do want to point out, to the listeners that that hesitation that you have is a very, very good hesitation. Um, looking at church history and the theologians and church fathers that have gone before us and what they view about yeah. things is really, really important when it comes to your interpretation of scripture and your views on theology. I think that that's a really important thing to do is to take all of that into account. Church history, I think is really important and what the church has viewed. Um, so that is actually probably one of the st- strongest arguments against annihilationism is the fact that a vast majority of church fathers and theologians throughout history have thought that. Um, so I'll give you that. Yeah. But there are quite a few very early on, like Ignatius, um, Irenaeus, um, who were like, oh, I'm forgetting my uh, church fathers. Okay, so there was John, the apostle and then he had a disciple that do you remember what his name was john's Something apostle with a p. um um oh, see usually i would remember but then now that you ask me i can't <laughs> um uh, i forget his name but uh John, and then he had a disciple, and his name started with a P. And then he had a disciple. Oh. And. Was it Phil? uh, No. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, he had an apostle, and then his apostle was uh, who? Oh, I'm getting my names mixed up big time. Uh, It started with an I. It was either Ignatius or Irenaeus. Uh, One of those two. He had writings that said that he learned from his um, mentor, who learned from John, the view of annihilationism. So he had the view that it was unbelievers cease to exist. And it seems from his writings that he learned that from his mentor who learned it from John. And so it's like there is him and there are quite a few others from, or at least a few others from early on that had that view that makes it to where I feel like it's not quite (laughs) too far out there. Um, Uh And just because lots of church fathers believed one way doesn't make it the right way. So, okay, yeah. uh, Ignatius, by the way, was an yes. apostle of John. Okay. Oh. And yeah, so yeah, you mentioned Ignatius being one that kind of had a view that probably yes. seems to lean toward annihilationism. And if you learn that from John and John was like right there with Jesus, then that would mean that the view is maybe not that, like you said, not quite that far out there. Um, yep. Yeah, and that's kind of fair because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that are kind of like, one, um, whether or not, you know, so like the Catholic Church claims that when it comes to communion, it's always pretty much up until the, you know, even a little bit after the Reformation that, you know, the real presence of Christ is in the Eucharist during communion. And 
Um, most Protestants today say, no, it's just a symbol. And a lot of time Catholics will go, well, church history, you know? But when you look at, you know, and I've looked at some of the cases where they mention, oh, well, this church father and this church, within just the first, you know, you know, if you look at the first, earliest years, like you said, the first couple hundred years of church history and some of the writings there, they all believe this way. But when I, but I mean, I looked at some of those passages and a lot of them, basically, if they said anything, it was very similar to what's said in scripture, which doesn't really yeah. make it definitive either way. You know what I That's mean? That's true. So like, so they could still be talking about symbols, you know, and it's not till you get a little further away where people start to really make clarity about the issue of whether or not it's the real presence of Christ there, like if it actually becomes the body of Christ or not. And by then it's kind of too late to know, well, what does scripture really mean? What did Jesus really mean? What did the apostles really mean once you get that far removed? So maybe, mm-hmm. so when it comes to hell and things like that, once we get a few hundred years away and we start getting some more clarity about eternal consciousness and things like that, we're almost a little bit more far removed. Um, yeah. On the other hand, you know, it's still like you had all these people looking at the same Bible we're looking at. And Josh, you say, well, when I look at it and I read the individual scriptures and the overarching theme, I tend to lean this way. And yet you had brilliant theologians looking at the same scripture leaning another way, you know? So I don't want to totally throw that out, but, um, yeah, it's, that's what, that is definitely a tough part of it. Um, wrestling with that, you know? Yep. That's true. Um, just for the listeners, the names there, Ignatius is one that, um, was probably an annihilationist who was, and he was a disciple of John. And then Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John. And he thought uh, he was probably annihilationist. But yeah, Polycarp—that's um, the one you were trying. That's the one you were trying yes. to remember. Yeah, Polycarp. Um, so yeah, that's that's a good point. It's very difficult. And even some of those passages from those people, scholars say they were probably annihilationists because it's not a hundred percent clear from what they wrote that they were. So yeah. it's it's really difficult to tell. And it's one of those right. topics. That it's like, and we have to we have to try to interpret them, their writings, in the same way yes. that we have to try to interpret scripture. So you know, it's yeah. all the same sort of understanding the language and the context. All those same sort of things come into play. Yep. It's not like today you could get Rob Bell and you could you know he may or may not want to clarify, but you could at least nail him down and try to get him to offer clarity. <laughs> Obviously, we yes. can't do that with Ignatius and Polycarp and John and <laughs> Jesus even. Yeah, yeah. So. It is definitely difficult to figure all that out. But even even at that point, even if a majority of church scholars thought that, I think that there are enough of them and there are enough current theologians that are doing really good work on studying scriptures and figuring out um, the language, things like that, that there's enough there that makes me feel comfortable in holding the view that I do, especially since the Bible from what I can tell from reading the Bible that I'm comfortable concluding that, uh, that it is probably true. But even then it's one of those topics that whether or not someone who goes to hell is conscious for eternity, isn't as important as the idea of there being a just God and right. being able to trust him in his goodness and his mercy. And just, I think what's important about this topic is not necessarily the details on what's happening to a person for eternity, but what is the nature of God? 
and yeah. is he good? Is he just? And was the sacrifice of Jesus worth it? That kind of thing. I think those are the right. questions that are the most important when it comes to this topic and why it's important to talk about is because what does it say about the character and nature of God if there is no hell at all? Yeah. Uh-huh. Cause if there is no hell at all, then he's not a very just God. Yeah. I mean, we, we naturally, when somebody, uh, commits a murder or is a rapist, we want them to go to jail. We want them to be in prison for a very long time because that is just, that's what's supposed to happen. And I think the same should be the case for eternity there should be a hell of some sort because people need, there needs to be justice, but also with Christ, there is justice, but also mercy and there is grace, um, which, uh, Francis Chan and a guy named, uh, Preston Sprinkle co-wrote a book called erasing hell. And it was kind of in response to, uh, the whole love wins thing, but they had a passage that I thought was really good. Um, a quote here that I'll, Go ahead and read. They said, while hell can be a paralyzing doctrine, it can also be an energizing one for it magnifies the beauty, beauty of the cross. Hell is the backdrop that reveals the profound and unbelievable grace of the cross. It brings to light the enormity of our sin and therefore portrays the undeserved favor of God in full color. Christ freely chose to bear the wrath that I deserve so that I can experience life in the presence of God. Yeah. And I think that's the important part <laughs> of yeah. the discussion. Well, and, and that's, cause that's the thing. I think a lot of people be, just because they're uncomfortable with the idea of hell would like to kind of find a way to get rid of it altogether. And, um, though that annihilationism and eternal conscious torment are definitely opposing views, there's a lot that they have in common. Yes. Like for one, the fact that both views take the stance that the punishment is forever. And like our talk on like, Calvinism and Arminianism, maybe all the scriptures, whether you think this a particular scripture supports one view or the other, they almost all, when talking about hell, talk of it being eternal and never ending. Yeah. Annihilationism, annihilation, <laughs> those that believe in annihilationism hold that view that the annihilation that happens is eternal. You don't get to come back from that. No. And those that believe in consciousness that is eternal. And so they agree there. And that pretty much kind of excludes the other two views that we talked about. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of, and so like there's that agreement already and the overarching theme of scripture definitely points that way. And it's really just about kind of the particulars, like what is that eternal punishment? How does that kind of end up in full and go out, you know? How does that play out? And um, and like you said, if you get rid of – so like the view that hell is temporary somewhat could appease the judgment, like the idea of justice as far as, um, you know, you've, you're going to pay in some sense for those sins that you committed. You're going to be punished for those, but eventually you can enter eternal life. So that would line up with the idea of justice as opposed to no hell at all. Yeah. However – what it misses, I guess, is that, like what we mentioned, the overarching theme of Scripture pointing to that punishment being eternal and not temporary. And so that's where I can pretty much scratch that off the list, you know. Um, some would say the no I no hell at all also because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for everyone, whether or not you accept it or not. But then that kind of comes back around to also, well, what's the nature of salvation and what, 
yeah. you know, what, ha- what merits salvation and all those things. And that kind of gets into a whole different discussion. But, um, um, yeah, the idea of justice is obviously important. And we don't even, ha- we don't have time to go back and forth and try to figure out, well, which view is true, eternal conscious torment or annihilationism. But I think it's good that the fact that we brought up on this podcast that, you know, those views have a lot in common. There's a lot of middle ground there. Mm-hmm. And both take scripture very seriously. And neither one has to stretch too far from the plain meaning of scripture to justify their view. Right. You know? Whereas I feel like the temporary punishment or the no hell at all really have to kind of ignore some things or twist them quite a bit to try to get away from that. Yes. Yes. I completely agree. And that's the thing that we want to move away from as much as possible is we want to, in the theology that we have, our goal should be to be as reverent and close to scripture as we could possibly be to read it like it wants to be writ, uh, read and to take it seriously. And then also take reason and the nature of God and the church fathers, theologians, things like that seriously. So it's, I think both of those views do those things pretty well. They, um, yeah. they take scripture seriously, which is what, <laughs> which is what we're looking for. Um, well, and it's important to, I mean, Jesus didn't shy away from the issue of hell. He talked about it often and he talked about it like it was real. And yes. as Christians, you know, I don't think we can, we can't just like ignore that, you know, uh, not yeah. that we have to go throwing hell in everybody's face, you know, but I guess for those that would want, like you said, erasing hell, you know, that book to address that issue. Um, because that's kind of the other part of this. We can debate, well, what's hell like? But there's a whole lot of people just struggling with the fact that there's a hell at all. Like if, yeah. for a lot of people, that's a big barrier to Christianity. Like, yep. well, I just can't get over hell. Yeah. And yeah, that's definitely a really important topic to talk about um, and address with the people that you have conversation with. And I think that there are lots of answers. I don't know that we'd have a whole lot of time to get into all of them, but uh, I think that something that I mentioned earlier that goes to that fact is that we, yes, we want a loving and just and merciful God, but we also want a just one. And if there is no hell at all, then that means that the people who are not good, that are really terrible people will not have justice. But also what Christianity does is it kind of fulfills both sides of it. It gives you that justice, but then it also gives you a way out and it shows you a loving God that will take that upon himself so that you don't have to suffer. And so I think <laughs> I kind of like that people have that gut reaction to hell because I think God has that gut reaction to hell and he gave us an answer for it. Yes. And so I don't know. I think that that's a good question for people to ask. And that's something that we should be open to talking about, but also part of the motivation behind that question is the way that the church has treated hell in the past I don't know, a couple hundred years in the idea of using it as a main, um, method of evangelism. (laughs) And I don't think hell should be our main message when it comes to evangelism. I think it should be a significant motivation, but throwing hell in people's faces, using fear to drive salvation is not true evangelism. That's not a true salvation. If they're going in out of fear, that's not a very good, a very good thing. And when you look at scripture in the way that, um, like reading through acts and reading through Jesus, they talked about hell 
Um, but they didn't use it as you should become a Christian because if you don't, you're going to burn forever type stuff. Right. I, I think talking about hell, like I said, I, I don't think it should be our main mes- message in evangelism, but it can be a good motivation for evangelism. And I think that's how yeah. we should use it. Uh, it right. Like, one, it, like you meant, for one, you kind of got to know your audience, you know? And even when you read, you know, Jesus or the apostles, like, who are they talking to? You know, if they're talking to a group of Jews that already accept the idea of some sort of a hell or something like that, like, that's kind of one thing they're speaking in that context to that group of people about a certain topic. But yeah, when you read through Acts, like, there's two things that, like, one, yeah, it, hell maybe comes up, but it's not like, you should repent or, you know, turn or burn. Like you should be very afraid of what's going to happen to you if you don't say these, you know, the sinner's prayer or whatever. Like you don't get, you certainly don't get that message. On the other extreme, you don't get, like the word love never comes up in the book of Acts at all. Like if you read through all of Acts, you will not find the word love. Um, Which is really interesting to me because Acts is about the only place where we find where the apostles, like specific cases where the apostles are doing evangelism to non-believers. And in all those cases, whether it's Stephen, Paul, Peter, um, James, John, like never do they tell people, well, turn to Jesus because of the great love he has for you. What they do talk about, though, is basically they point to Jesus as being the Messiah that God sent and also um, him being the way of truth and life and things like that. So um, they always just basically the message is on Jesus and turning to him. And so there's kind of, um, it, I guess, and that's the balance. Like we can see scripture, we can see an example of this balance between just the one message on the one hand that's all, oh, loving God, things like that. And the other hand where it's like, you know, this firm, just God that will, exact his judgment upon you. Like there's a middle ground between those two messages where you can say, yes, God is just, but God is also merciful. He's also loving. And also, by the way, look at this Jesus guy who, what he did and rose from the dead. And he's clearly is who he said he was. And because of that, he deserves our allegiance, you know? Mm -hmm. So Christianity, yes, definitely offers that kind of unique thing. Um, And how many how I don't know any major religion where you can find where the solution to the problem was God himself taking on the punishment, you know, and yeah. that is just something that's so unique about Christianity that's been recognized throughout the ages by people is like, you know, one thing Christianity definitely has going for it that's very different is the fact that it was God himself who took upon the punishment that we deserved. And all we have to do is turn to him and accept that. Yeah. And um that's just really amazing. <laughs> I completely agree. It's uh yeah. Um I don't know what else to, that was just that was really good. <laughs> well, thank I don't you. know what else to add to that. Uh, um, I didn't mean to necessarily draw us to a conclusion, but yeah. it, it uh, was just coming. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any books or resources that you've taken a look at that have kind of formed your view that you would want to recommend? Uh, um, I, I, it's mostly like, I would say for, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. You go first. I was going to say mine is the Bible because that's all you need because it clearly points to my view. (laughs) So go on. What were you going to say? You, you, what heresy are you going to point to? (laughs) Um, (laughs) you're too much. Um, (laughs) 
Let, mm-hmm. Let's talk about Young Earth's creationism real quick, can we? <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, no, I was going to say, uh, I don't know, like Erasing Hell is kind of a cool book, just in addressing like the idea of hell at all. Um, but uh, for the most part, I guess a lot, I don't, really just blogs and stuff. This has been yeah. especially recently written about a lot. There's there's websites supporting annihilationism. Um, what's the one in particular um, that's really popular? Um, oh, oh, I don't even know. There's one, um, Rethinking Hell, I think is the name oh, of yeah. it. Oh, yeah. There's a podcast. Um, they, I think they do a podcast, too. Yeah, I think those guys might do a podcast or in the past have done a podcast. Um, And yeah, and I think there's even maybe a book that they wrote called Rethinking Hell. But yeah, yeah, so there's a website and stuff and a podcast and whatnot. Um, So that was those guys support annihilationism. Um, Pretty traditional theologically, but that's just kind of one thing that makes them unique uh, from other theologically conservative evangelicals. Yeah. on the other side of it, um, obviously, if you just type in to a Google search "eternal conscious torment," you'll find a number of articles and blogs that have been written addressing that in support of it. Um, one in particular, though, there was a, a podcast on the unbelievable on the unbelievable co- podcast. There was an episode that had uh, Russell Moore, um, the um, religious ERLC um, evangelical really- religious liberty coalition something like that yeah i think something like that um I'll look up his title real quick russell moore presented um the i don't what you may call the traditional view of hell the basically the eternal conscious torment view of hell um president of the ethics and religious liberty commission erlc uh, yeah close. so um public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. So he basically lines up with the SBC on his theological views. Anyway, yeah. on the Unbelievable Podcast, he supported that side, the um, Eternal Conscious Torment. And then I think it was maybe one of the guys from Rethinking Hell that was on the other side of that yeah. debate. And like, if you if you know the Unbelievable Podcast, um, and for our listeners who maybe don't know, they almost always get two guests. So the moderator, Justin Brierly, gets two guests on that represent opposing views and essentially they talk them out. Sometimes it's two Christians on opposing views on a theological issue like this case, yep. or it's a Christian and a non-Christian debating an issue. And so you kind of, you can really get, you can hear both sides of the argument and they mm-hmm. kind of go back and forth about what the best. So if you want to know about that particular thing, um, on the issue of whether hell is appropriate, I'm, I'm for sure unbelievable is even address that of having people who just don't believe in hell at all. Yeah. And somebody who did, um, I can't recommend a specific episode, but anyway, that was one resource I remember listening to that kind of helped give me some clarity on this issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unbelievable is always a, a good resource. Also, Russell Moore. I like that guy. Um, yeah, he's a good Twitter follow, Yeah, by the way. he If you are looking into ethics and poli- uh, political stuff, he's a good resource for that kind of thing, too. Um, he always has good stuff to say. Um, a couple that I would recommend. Two books. Erasing Hell. I think that's a really good resource that it doesn't land firmly on any particular view, but it lays out the most popular ones in a really good way and is just a really well, I don't know, well-balanced, very uh, 
sober-minded approach, I guess, and really takes into the into account the nature of God and just the nature of the subject itself. Um, it's I like their approach. It's really good. Uh, Racing Hell. It's by Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle. Uh, and then the other book would be The Great Divorce. I think that is a fantastic read, um, obviously, by C.S. Lewis. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a well, really... Yeah, and... Okay, go ahead. I'll, I'll add my comment after you You, okay. you say yours. It's a really fun <laughs> <Sorry>. read. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's a really fun read. Uh, it's fiction, and it's fairly short. But I think it gives a really good picture of the purpose of... I don't know why there would be a hell and why there would be a heaven. And I don't know, it gives a really interesting idea, a picture to, of, uh, of what they could be like. It's obviously fiction. And he points that out that he's not saying this is the way that it actually is, but it's a really interesting picture and gives you a good idea of why we would have those two. So those are my yeah, book recommendations. And, yeah. I, yes. And I would agree. Uh, the, the great divorce is a fun read. Like, kind of regardless but like you mentioned c.s Lewis was kind of he like he said look this isn't meant to necessarily describe exactly what my views on heaven and hell are but to kind of give an idea of something and but one of the things i guess that i that i really took away that i think is probably a true theme from the great divorce is the idea that the people in what you may call eternal purgatory or what maybe is hell for them or whatever you know he never uses those words in the books but if you mm-hmm. want to interpret that way okay um they they stay there not because they can't leave but simply because they don't want to yeah and so bringing that to reality it's like people let's say you take an eternal conscious view of hell that maybe maybe even in eternity after death jesus would still if they would repent would allow them into heaven but they literally don't want to like yeah. they they even through eternity, regardless of the suffering they endure, would rather have that than simply bend the knee and repent and turn to God for their salvation. And that, I, that to me is kind of like, that's kind of mind blowing, but also like maybe, maybe there's some real deep truth in that. And and maybe that's, I don't know if C.S. Lewis, that was kind of one of the things he was trying to communicate. I mean, obviously, because that's kind of a theme in the book, but I don't know. I think that's important to remember that as we think about this yeah. issue is that well people end up in hell and all of a sudden they'll be like oh i don't want to be here or whatever but maybe not maybe like they would still be like no i'm going to remain in my rebellion and if this is what it means whatever i will not turn to god yeah um the, the there's a quote from the great divorce where C.S. Lewis says there are only two kinds of people in the end those two those who say to god thy will be done and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Um, yes. And I think that's a great way to put it, that it's like the choice that you're making throughout your life and into eternity is, do you want to do the will of God and to be with him? Or do you want to do your own will? And God allows you to make that choice. And that is where you spend eternity. And it's like, that's your, he paints the picture of the choice of salvation as a kind of a trajectory and you are going in the direction that you 
are choosing. So if you want to be with God, then you're getting closer and closer and closer to him through the process of sanctification. And then when you're in heaven, you're drawing closer and closer and closer to him, becoming more heavenly, having more life. And the picture of hell is that you are getting further and further and further away and because you're making that, you've made that choice to be far from God because you don't want to be with him. And his picture is that that is the torment is being separated from God because separation from God means, I mean, what do you think of when you feel separated from God? You feel um, worried, anxious, you feel dread, you feel all kinds of terrible things, hatred, self-loathing, all of those things. And that's what hell is. It's that intensified into eternity because that's your trajectory, which is anguish. (laughs) I mean, that's, I think that is very, very terrible if that is what's happening to you for eternity, but that's what you have chosen. You've chosen to be away from God. And that is the natural, that's what naturally happens when you get separated from God. Yes. So yes, it's a really interesting picture. Uh, That, and yeah, that quote summarizes perfectly what I was trying to say about the great divorce. Yeah. They will say to God, thy will be done. Or God will say to them, thy will be done. And, um, and that, and, and uh, I just, for me, that was really kind of like a, one of those things where I think it really is consistent with the way scripture describes yes. the idea of the final judgment and also kind of brought it into a light where it's like, hell is fair. To, like it made it easier for me to accept that hell is a just thing. And that, and I think that makes sense of it, that it's just a beautiful summary of it. Uh, well, C.S. Lewis is just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no kidding. He just had such a way of things. Like yep. he didn't, you know, he could have wrote a book about hell and addressed all the theological issues, but instead he wrote a fictitious book that told, such, that basically communicated real deep truths in such a more beautiful way. And I, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, great resource there. Yes. And then uh, if you're looking for a podcast um, to listen to, a little bit of shorter resource, the Phil Vischer podcast did a couple episodes on hell that were really good. Um, the second author of Erasing Hell, Preston Sprinkle, was on there. They did an interview with him. And then a Old Testament uh, scholar, um, they had him on too. I just forget his name. John Walton. Um, so John Walton Preston Sprinkle had both of them on. And... Uh, they were really good discussions and very enlightening. So I would listen to those too. Awesome. So yeah, I will okay, put links to all of that in the show notes. And so you can check those out there and we will talk to you next time. I think that's, that's it for today. That was a good discussion. I feel like it was a good discussion. Yep. Um, I hope our listeners agree. Yes. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. Thanks, um, thanks for talking to me, Josh. Haven't yeah. talked to you in a while. It's yep. fun. It was. I missed it very much. This is like doing this is one of the highlights of my week every time we do it. I just love having these conversations. So I'm glad that you did not decide, well, it's been so long. I'm just going to forget about him and not do it anymore. Because <laughs> I never. Enjoy it. No, I, um, yeah, it's fun for me too. So. Good deal. So uh, we will talk to you guys next time. And if you have any questions about this topic, have any feedback, let us know. Love to hear it.